name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. On Monday, Thursday, we recall our Lord's institution of the Lord's Supper that we receive all year long. And to be sure, we certainly appreciate it all year long. But this is the one time a year we get to slow down and really focus specifically on the Lord's Supper. As our Lord says, to do this in remembrance of me. And as often as we do it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he's come. So it's a remembrance of him that proclaims his death. As we saw in the Old Testament reading regarding the Passover, the very first Passover as the lamb was slain, the blood was put on the door and the the angel of death would pass over the Lord's people. That first Passover, something physical and real was certainly happening. But then at the very end of the Old Testament reading, you can note how the Lord says to practice the Passover every year thereafter as a remembrance, as a memorial, so that people would always learn where they came from and how the Lord led them out of Israel. And so every year they would practice the Passover and recount the Lord's blessing. But every year on the Passover, the angel of death didn't pass over again. So it truly was a memorial of something that had happened in the past. It was good and it was the Lord's word and and people rejoicing in, in their salvation from bondage in Egypt. But it wasn't actually doing something to the people. So for us, as we receive the Lord's Supper and we do it in remembrance of him, we should be careful to notice that it's not only in remembrance of him. Something is actually given to us. It's not only that we remember and that we proclaim the Lord's death, but we receive. So the salvation that was won on the cross by our Lord Jesus is delivered to us physically. Just as the physical blood was put on the doors and the angel of death passed over, so too for us. It's not only spiritual or in our memories, but our sins are actually forgiven in a real physical way because we are physical and our sins are often physical. Salvation and eternal life are put into our bodies. Now, how can bread and wine do such great things? Well, the Lord's Supper does what it does because Jesus says it is his body and blood. It is what he says it is, and therefore it does what he says it does. The reality of Christ's body and blood in the Lord's Supper is true only because he says so. It's not because we believe it to be so. It's an objective reality. It is true regardless of what we think about it. That means it is the body and blood of Jesus to all who receive it, regardless of what you think, And regardless of what you believe, it is what the Lord says it is. That's why it can be taken in a harmful way. As Paul warns in our reading from 1 Corinthians, as he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning 
the body and blood of the Lord. And that would be bad. It is an objective reality that is either taken beneficially or harmfully. There's no neutral way. So I often like to use an analogy regarding uh, Skittles. So if I have up here some rat poison, and you say, hey, pastor, can I have some of those Skittles to eat? And I say, uh, these aren't Skittles. This is rat poison. You say, no, 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 but I think it's Skittles. And therefore, it's Skittles to me. Well, will the rat poison still be harmful for you? Regardless of what you think it is? Of course. So that's an objective reality. It is true that it is rat poison regardless of what you think. And that's the confession that we make in the Lord's Supper. That it is the true body and blood of Jesus apart from us and our sin or our unbelief or our lack of faith or our lack of knowledge. But it is what it is because of what he says it is. And that Jesus is actually doing something to everyone who receives the supper. And as he says, it either brings forgiveness or judgment. Paul tells the church to take care in giving out this gift because it is what he says it is, and it can do harm. That's why we go through the trouble of having confirmation classes and have a communion statement on our bulletin. We try to talk to people before communion and all that. So the big question then is, how does a person receive the supper in a beneficial way? That is, how can you be sure that it's not doing you harm? Our reading from 1 Corinthians 11, it might be helpful to look at it. You can flip over to it, back a couple pages on page 8 of your bulletin, the epistle reading from 1 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 27. The second full paragraph on page 8. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So you want to avoid taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You'd want to take it in a worthy manner. But what makes someone worthy? What makes you unworthy? So at first we might think that sinfulness, carrying great guilt and shame with you, might make someone unworthy. But it can't be that. You can't be too sinful for the Lord's Supper, because if you didn't have sins, you wouldn't need the forgiveness of sins, which is the whole point of receiving the Lord's Supper. Your sin, in fact, is what qualifies you for the Supper. So worthiness for the Supper is not about being unsinful. It's got to be something else. And according to St. Paul, to be worthy for the Supper, one must, as he says, discern the Lord's body. And so he says, examine yourself. 
You are to examine yourself to determine if you discern the body or not. Pretty straightforward. Discern the body and you take it worthily. So examine yourself. Examine yourself how? Looking for what? Do I discern the body? What does that mean? What does it mean to discern the body? Discernment means to look at something and to determine whether it is life or death. It's pretty cut and dry. It's good or bad, life or death. For example, you might not understand how electricity works, fully comprehending all the ins and outs of electricity, but that's different than discernment. You can discern electricity by knowing that if you use it wrongly, it can kill you. So when parents send out their kids at night to play with their friends, and they say, use your discernment. Maybe you probably don't say that. You say something like, be careful or don't make bad decisions. But what you're meaning is, use discernment. Choose good. Choose life. Don't choose bad. Don't make bad decisions. So discernment is to cut between those things, to divide between two ways, life or death, light and darkness, good and evil. And the scriptures give us a beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament. As Solomon, it's really one of the first times the word discernment comes up. As Solomon famously prays for wisdom and discernment. That is, he's praying to be able to cut between good and evil, life and death. 1 Kings 3, give your servant a hearing heart to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil For who is able to govern this, your great people? Solomon praying to God there for this ability to discern, to cut between what is good and what is bad. And that really means what is life and what is death. And really, as you think about the Ten Commandments, as the Ten Commandments are protecting what is good and forbidding what is bad, they're protecting life. Think about the commandments. Don't murder, protecting life. Don't commit adultery, protecting marriage. It's protecting all the things of life. So to discern means to to cut between life and death, good and evil. And right after Solomon gets the gift of discernment, interestingly enough, right away he's presented with his first case to judge as two prostitutes come up to him and one of them has a dead baby and one has a living baby. You might remember how the story goes, to kind of cut to the chase. One is accusing the other that they stole the baby. One of them died at night, and the babies kind of look the same. They can't figure out whose is whose. They don't really have DNA testing, obviously. So they come to the king, help us sort this out. She's saying that baby's hers. I'm saying it's mine. Solomon says, simple enough. Go get a sword. Cut the baby in half. There's two of you. You can both have half a baby. And one mom says, sounds like a plan. The other mom says, no. Give the baby to her. And at that, Solomon had exposed the real mom. Because no true mom would want her baby to be cut in half. Right? And so Solomon there is seeing life in the face of death. Good in the face of evil. Discernment can tell life from death, good from evil. And so, to be worthy for the Lord's Supper... We are to discern the body. That doesn't mean to understand it fully. 
It's not about accruing more knowledge or data because we would just forget that. In fact, most of you probably don't remember a third of what you learned in the catechism when you were younger. It's not about knowledge. It's not about comprehending how it works. Because if that were the case, no one would be worthy. No one knows how the Lord takes bread and wine and makes it body and blood. But rather to discern the body is simply to look at this altar, to the body and blood given here and saying, it is life and it is good. It's not death. What's given here in the body and blood is life. It's all good and I need it because I have all the bad. I have sin and I have death and I have shame. Simple enough. But there's a lot that's packed into that simple confession of simply discerning this body. Because as you approach this altar and receive the Lord's body and blood into your mouth, you're confessing a lot of things. You're saying that this is life and that you need it. That means you have death. So you're confessing your death. If this is the forgiveness of sins, you're confessing that you have sins. If this is how God's delivering salvation to you, then you're admitting that you can't do it for yourself, that God has to do it all, placing salvation into your body through means of grace. You can't do anything to save yourself. He does it all. We're confessing all these simple things when we come up here to receive in the simple statement of discerning the body of life. I have only sin and death in me, but he has given forgiveness and life, and it's all for me. The supper is life, and it is all gift for you. At that, you have discerned the body of Christ, and so you are worthy for the supper. Life is truly delivered in this meal. Forgiveness is truly physically given. Holiness touches the unholy, shame is cleansed, and salvation is delivered, all because Jesus has said so, and he keeps his promises. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. We stand for prayer.